0: welcome to all things terror i'm emily (laughs) i'm jennifer and this is a more or less weekly uh podcast where we bring you terrifying true tales from science history true crime and throughout the known universe so and uh it's springtime it is you got anything going on in your world that The fair listeners should know about, Jennifer?
1: I mean, there's not really anything exciting that people should know about, but I will tell you that I have three tomatoes growing. I'm very excited.
0: That is exciting. Good job. I
1: had four, but I might have accidentally knocked one off because Uh, I was being careless.
0: You know, one year the squirrels got really into eating, in air quotes, my green tomatoes, and I say eating because they'd, like, pull it off and I'd find them, take a bite, and then be like, ugh, and throw it down. But they kept doing it. Like, I was just like, eat the whole tomato. <laughs> but then Like, the... okay,
1: fine. E- if you're going to eat it, just
0: e- eat it. Eat it. But no, I just found a bunch of them that just had one bite out of it. And I been like you, you literally were like, ew, I don't like this. Wait, what about this one? Ew, I don't like this. What about this one? Like. It was very frustrating. But then the um, next summer, I found a bunch. You know those, like, peanuts when they're in the shell? hmm uh-huh. I found two of those buried in my raised bed and two in my compost pit. And I was like, I've never bought these in my life. Like I actually had <laughs> a moment. I'm like, did somebody come and put this in my... And then I was like, oh, the squirrels did it. And I'm like... <laughs> I I mean maybe they were just stashing it for themselves, but like I have dog and cats, I feel like my yard is not super hospitable to squirrels, and so I kind of like to think they were like, "Sorry about the tomatoes, but boop, boop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> here here here's some peanuts I found." <laughs> right? <laughs> it tastes web way, way better than whatever you were growing.
0: Yeah. Do you know about salt, lady? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um, uh, when I lived in. In Georgia, we had a really, really large garden, um, and we also had a garden turtle. A turtle. And, yeah, so where? Because I lived like real rural Georgia, like the kind of place that the roads were accessible via dirt only. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and. <laughs> uh we would often you know in our trips to wherever we we're going uh you know come across you know wildlife on the roads and you know we would stop and move it and one of the things that we did is we found a turtle and we were like all right you're gonna live in the garden now so we had they a garden eat turtle. up
0: your bugs or whatever
1: yeah they're really good for predators but um you know they also eat stuff in your garden but like if you're growing enough stuff it's just like who cares you know, yeah. fine. You're doing your job. You earned that spinach that you're eating or whatever. Um, But for some reason, this one year we were having a hard time with the tomatoes. Just, they weren't having it. They were like, not growing. Fuck you. Go die. <laughs> but one one tomato plant finally produced one tomato and it was like big beautiful tomato and like every day my dad I'm like go out there really excited about it be like oh it's getting big it's gonna be ready soon blah 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 and then I remember he came in and he was like god damn it
0: <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: and I'm like trying to figure out how upset he was and he sh- why he was upset and he showed me the tomato that has been growing and I looked at it and i like it looked fine except for when he turned it There's, like, this huge bite out of the tomato. Oh, no. And it was the garden turtle found the tomato and was like, yeah, I'm eating this. And just took, like, a gigantic chomp out of the tomato. It did not stop (laughs) my dad from cutting the tomato and eating around the turtle bite. But it was just really funny.
0: I love it the me of those squirrels. I love the stubbornness of your dad being like, "I'm gonna get my goddamn tomato. <laughs> I grew this, damn it." <laughs> you the one turtle. tomato. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So join us for a new spinoff podcast, Garden Tales, <laughs> with Emily and Jen. All right, are you ready? I'm ready. The I year hope it's about turtles. It's so, not about turtles. I wish it was. I, turtles seem kind of delightful, though, and this is not all things delightful.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
0: Alright, instead we're going to go to 1917.
1: Alright, I'm ready. I've got this my feels... time-traveling suit on.
0: Yeah, this feels pretty familiar to all things terror. We often go back to this era-ish. Uh, but we're going somewhere we haven't talked about much yet which is kind of a weird omission, and that is the American West. Specifically, Bisbee, Arizona. where oh, there... We were just talking about Arizona. We were just talking about Arizona where there are definitely ticks, apparently. Was... Uh, and if my prediction is correct, just wait until the end of the episode, because I think Clint will put that little particular story there. Uh... <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay now he's gonna leave it there to spite me um anyway so bisbee arizona it's still very frontier-esque wider all that like gunslinging stuff uh in fact one man fred watson who i'm going to come back to later uh said quote arizona was dry then but in 17 there was still drinking and gambling going on the sippies i don't know what the sippies are We're up at the top of Brewery Gulch. It was a pretty tough town. So that's cool. Tough. I saw more guns here in Bisbee than any town I ever was in in my life. They never talked about anything else but guns between here and Tombstone. (laughs) So (laughs) that's cool. Tombstone, Arizona famously being, you know, the pew pew. Um, So... Arizona at this time, and Bisbee in particular, were supported by copper mining. And uh, in 1917, not only are we borderline Victorians, but we're also in the middle of World War I, which, uh, every th- One, Which, everyone that I read is like, that made copper more important than ever. And I was like, why? So, I'm just going to read you this quote from a National Park Service site that says, quote... By 1914, copper had become an essential component of every weapon, vehicle, and piece of equipment used on the battlefield. Its ability to conduct electricity withstand water and transmit heat made it ideal for many different applications, as did its malleability and durability. So, you know, copper, it's useful. Um, so, given, and- Yeah, it's useful for war, and probably other things but you know mostly war uh so given how important copper is and how great humans are those miners are probably treated really well right of course of course this is all things pleasant uh no apparently not only were the mines unsafe but the towns that the people lived in uh were not great and the mining companies often controlled the towns And in addition to that, the wages for this work were generally considered, like, not great. And Bisbee, in particular, has this company, the Phelps Dodge Company, and they are known for being a real son of a bitch. Um, For one thing, they, quote, owned the largest hotel, the hospital, department store, library, newspaper, and other enterprises as well. Understandably, Phelps Dodge was referred to as the company by admirers as well as critics. And that was by this article um, by Philip Taft. And I'm not giving you titles because it'll give this away a little bit. So, uh, in addition to that, Phelps Dodge also routinely discriminated against Mexican-Americans and immigrants. And in this area, um, Arizona is basically still Mexico at this time. Um, Fred... Uh, Watson said that uh, Pancho Villa was still like conducting raids in the area this time. So you're discriminating against people who are a huge portion of the population. And this is also uh, an industry that has a lot of immigrants working who are from all kinds of countries. So it's basically just like a bunch of whiteys who run the company being jerks. That, that tracks. Right. I know this is going to be really shocking to everyone. Uh they're also producing 15 million pounds of copper a month. So the owners are being real big dicks, but they're like getting an insane amount of work out of these poor dudes. So, uh I would like to point out, zoom out just a little bit and say that this is not an isolated incident. Um mining and copper mining in particular sort of known for being very brutal, but also having some people really push back. So our good guy, Philip Taft, said, quote, Perhaps no industry has experienced greater changes in labor management relations than copper mining, which at one time was notorious for its brutal and bitter warfare. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Telluride, Cripple Creek, and Leadville, Colorado, the Copper Districts of Northern Michigan and Bisbee, Arizona have all been the sites of violent encounters between miners and their employers. If we're talking about Bisbee. You might be uh, seeing where I'm going with this. So prior to 1917, there are some strikes in Bisbee. There's some fighting. But in 1917, it's really going down. Um, there are two unions operating at this time. And I say nominally operating, it's a little slippery about who's in the union and who isn't. Um, One of the unions is called the Western Federation of Miners, which is later the International Union of Mines, Still and Smelter Workers. And the other is the Industrial Workers of the World, IWW, which is pretty famous around this time for strikes and getting reforms passed and is also still around. So, between these two unions, there's definitely some fighting about tactics, about what to do, about, like, membership, that kind of stuff. Basically, it seems like two cooks in the kitchen that only has room for one. Uh, There is also, it seems possible, that the companies purposely played up the difficulties between these two, because if they had gotten along, they would have been a much more formidable opponent. Um,
1: always a good tactic
0: yeah yeah that's certainly uh not how the gop is playing americans today nope 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 um (laughs) so anyway uh in 1907 for example um the federation leader joseph de he calls for a strike and he says that Wow, we've been battling these companies for 27 years, and this is 10 years before our 1917 story. So this is just, like, not a great situation. So in the summer of 1917, the unions get it together, and they ask the copper companies, which, again, is mostly Phelps Dodge in Bisbee, for some changes. And the changes they're asking for are, quote, improvements in safety and working conditions. No discrimination for membership in any labor organization and $6 a day for underground work, and $5.50 to above-ground work. Um, The companies refused to answer the demands, and the IWW called a strike on June 26, 1917. Uh, I will also say, no discrimination for membership in any labor organization, so the companies would essentially refuse to hire people who joined unions, which is pretty illegal, but still happens today. Uh, In fact, Amazon is getting in trouble right now in 2021 for anti-union activities. So that's great that things never change. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I couldn't find a lot about the demands of the miners, which is very interesting to me. But our old pal Fred Watson said of the mines, quote, the conditions... In the mines were intolerable absolutely they never mentioned anything the miners asked for their demands were never mentioned and fred watson is a miner he's a night shift guy and that'll become relevant later so just uh stick it in your back pocket as our friend at southern fried true crime would say um so at first this strike was pretty successful So the miners at Phelps Dodge walked out, um, as well as some other nearby miners, walked out in solidarity, which represented overall about 80 to 90 percent of the working men. And they form a picket line, and they're just later, the state mine inspector later testifies that they were, quote, milling about. So they're just kind of hanging, yeah, just doing stuff. Um, Fred, and I just have a lot of quotes from him because he's just so old timey and delightful. I should do a voice, but I'm not going to, but I should. (laughs) He says, quote, it was peaceful at the time. There never was any trouble, see? No, he just said there never was any trouble. (laughs) They had a big flag at the post office, the full length of that door, and you had to push it to one side to get in and out. That's where the picket line was. They were waiting for us to go there and tear it down. We never touched it. The English kitchen, it was run by the PD, the Phelps Dodge, the Coppa company. They come out on strike, the cooks and waiters, and they had a fellow called Gray who was picketing. There was a fellow there night after night after night they called Shotgun Johnson. Tried to kick up a fight with our picket, but he wouldn't do it. Just kept on walking up and down. You ought to hear the names he called him. So, uh, It's a peaceful strike, though. So, first day um after the first day uh from the bisbee daily review quote no trouble of any kind was experienced last evening on the streets of bisbee or warren and the officers gave it as their opinion that none was expected the streets were as quiet as usual last evening they appeared calm and gave no evidence of untoward events pending or otherwise and it sort of continued on that way there's no real problems with the picketers in fact, any harassment being noted at this time was directed at women working in a laundry, and in my notes I just have why with why? like a yeah yeah why I don't know they're like, they're women and they exist Ugh. women in their laundry yeah um, and one note in a newspaper that people picketing quote were pestered. So the picketers are actually not bothering anyone. It's just like everyone bothering them. And fair enough. it's possible that it was actually more peaceful and calm than normal because the strike workers told bootleggers not to sell booze. And they listened. All right, fair. <laughs> so they're like, listen, hey, we want this to be chill. We want this to go down without a hitch. And if you're selling whiskey, someone's going to get riled up. So could you adjust? Not. And the bootleggers were like, okay. Uh, Later, a legal rights committee of the Arizona State Federation of Labor would do, like, an investigation into this. And they said, quote, An investigation of the police records will show that acts of violence, unfortunately common to strikes, were very rare. And it is admitted that the voluntary action of the strikers in suppressing the illicit traffic in liquor was much more effective than that of the regular peace officers. (laughs) they're actually doing a better job at policing than the regular police
1: cool 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 cool. right
0: yeah so while this is all going on super chill um Walter Douglas who um our Taft author calls the most powerful man in Bisbee he's the general manager of the Phelps Dodge Corporation he says quote there will be no compromise because you cannot compromise with a rattlesnake That goes for both the International Union and the IWW. So that's just like, that's really chill, right?
1: Oh yeah, totally. Super reasonable. reasonable
0: Yeah. (laughs) So the people in charge do not handle this well. They call in the sheriff, they request the National Guard, like all this bullshit. So now we're getting to July 11th or 12th. I saw both. 6.30 a.m., um, the sheriff, Wheeler, posts this proclamation all around town. He's, like, nailing up wanted signs if you want to go back to, like, your uh, uh Western movie. He's posting these papers that has a warning on it that says, Women and children, get off the streets. And we formed a posse in Bisbee. Quote, for the purpose of arresting on charges of vacancy, treason, and being disturbers of the peace of Cochise County, all those strange men who have congregated here from other parts and sections, for the purpose of harassing and intimidating all men who desire to pursue their daily toil. (laughs) The proclamation, Uh... and then this is Taft, the proclamation recited that threats have been made daily. Quote, We cannot longer stand or tolerate such conditions. There is no labor trouble. We are sure of that. But a direct attempt to embarrass and injure the government of the United States. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Like, the miners are like, please, we don't want to die while we're working. And the government of the United States is like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Ew. (laughs) I just, I got my period in front of my crush. I'm so embarrassed.
1: Uh, yeah. worst day
0: ever <laughs> so this goes on this this goes up in the morning and suddenly there's 2,000 deputies and I can't remember I said but I think Bisbee has like 8,000 people at this point so it's not like they had 2,000 people working for the sheriff all the time like they're people who have just been deputized just for this they have white armbands on and they have lists of every striker and they're just going around rounding them up but sometimes they're also rounding up people that are just not working. Like, shopkeepers get picked up, stuff, stuff like that. Um, Fred Watson, our guy, his father-in-law is eating breakfast. And gunmen go in, and they're like, hey, you better not go to work. Stay off the street. This is some terrible shit. And he's like, fuck you, I'm Scottish. <laughs> Which is basically how Fred <laughs> told this story fuck you, yeah, I'm Scottish. <laughs> so they're like, fine. And they put him in this line to like, you know, you'll see what the line is for later. But some guy just comes up and is like, what the fuck? You're not striking. You're not causing trouble. And he just like shoos him away. Um, at one point, this is the only death in this whole roundup. At one point, there's a striker in a house and they're like, get out of here. And he's like, no. And he just like shoots randomly outside. And he shoots one of the deputies and he hits him and kills him. And he's like, oh, and so, so the deputies shoot back and he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Whoops. My bad. And he puts the gun down and he says, according to Fred Watson, he says, I'm coming through and he walks out unarmed and they shoot him and he dies. So those are the only fatalities, right? Um... It's still not great, like it's still kind of a creepy situation, but uh, it is the only fatality. Uh, we're gonna go back to Fred Watson, who's a a miner at this time, and he says, quote, "They took men out of the barber shops. Why is it they went to the barber shops and trampled them underfoot on the streets that morning? Why did they go in the restaurants where we had cooks and waiters with their white jackets and big hats and put them in line? Why did they get those? They didn't work in the mines." There was a fellow in a white coat that worked in there, and he used to work in the mines. Uh, They went in there, and they wanted to know, are you with these guys or against them? He said, I've made my living off those fellows for 10 years. Why wouldn't I be with them? His pool hall was wrecked because he was in line with us. They got me out of bed looking down a double-barreled shotgun. So remember, he's on the night shift, and he pickets a little bit, and then he's like, I gotta go home and sleep because it's daytime. He said, quote, you either put a white rag around your arm or you left town. So, this isn't awesome. This is pretty ominous. And you may be thinking, okay, that's a lot of people that's in jail. And it's definitely a violation of their First Amendment right to free speech. And even more importantly, peaceable free assembly. But, you know, okay, whatever. Well, they don't put these people in jail. Instead, they're forcibly marched more than three miles to a baseball field. It's about 2,000 men the main sheriff wheeler quote oversaw the march from a car outfitted with a loaded marlin 762 millimeter belt fed machine gun apparently once they get them there they let some people quote denounce the union and go back to work if they were not actually union members but for the remaining 1200 or so men they're like get get in these train box cars go So, they have 23 or 24 boxcars, which are exactly what they sound like. They're just boxes that are pulled by trains. And what was in those boxcars, you might ask? Grizzly bears. I wish. They're like, all right, boys, fight. Um, (laughs) Nope. There's nothing. There's no water, no food. Uh, Fred is pulled in. And he ends up in one of those boxcars, and he says that in his boxcar, there's nothing but sheep dung. So that's cool. Tasty. So all these men are put into these boxcars, and the train just starts moving. And after about 20 minutes, they hit their first stop, which is this place in Arizona called Douglas, Where, quote, according to one deportee, both sides of the tracks were lined with gunmen who had left Bisbee and motorcars. A mounted machine gun was also visible, end quote. Super chill, right?
1: Yep, very chill.
0: And after that, they basically, like, just keep going. Um, It's really unclear to me if there was a plan of where they were going to put these guys other than outside of Bisbee. But they just keep driving. They're not giving them any water or food. Um, It does seem like by some accounts, they like stop and let them stretch their legs from time to time. But by the next day, so they've been on this train car like all day, all night. The next day, they're near Columbus or Deming, New Mexico, which is pretty close to where we live. Um, And the trains are like, get out of here, men. And then they just leave they're like we're done with you you don't live here anymore <laughs> bye and uh, so <laughs> yep um okay like i <laughs> i kind of imagine those men might feel the way that spiders feel when you like pick them up and put them outside where they're like what where where am i uh, <laughs> so some men somehow they like get someone to, like, go walk to a nearby town and, like, wire help to the union lawyer um, and, some like, get some food. They haven't had any food. They haven't been fed or anything. They've just literally been left out there to die. And New Mexico's governor, to this guy's credit, is like, um, help? I don't want this. <laughs> what What is happening? And... Um, the federal government, like, uh, Bisbee had like called in the sheriff and asked for the national guard and president Wilson was like, I'm sorry, what's going on? Can someone see what's happening down there? And he was like, not really in line with what Bisbee was doing. Uh, but what he decides to do, they send, um, an army, whatever. I don't know if it's a battalion. I don't know how many they sent. But they send part of the army to go down and basically set up refugee camps where these deported minors are allowed to stay for two whole months. And many of them do stay for two months. (laughs) Now, you may be thinking why, if you're doing something totally legal, have you become a a refugee in your own town? And why are you living in a, a tent With rations for two months. Well, let's go and see what else is going on back in good old Bisbee. So first off, the town, as they're preparing to deport these miners, they cut off all uh, telegraph and telephone lines. The uh, mayor and the sheriff refused to let Western Union or the Associated Press reporters file reports of what's going on. So that's not at all weird, right? No, Um, not at
1: all?
0: No, no. I feel totally fine about this situation. (laughs) So next, the posse forms, quote, a Citizens protective league. Sounds totally normal, right? Yeah, totally. The sheriff is in charge of this. And as part of this, he puts armed guards at all the city entrances and exits. Like, Bisbee is the stronghold of safety during a zombie outbreak. It's just like gotta get past the guns so if you want to enter you have to become you have to like appear before the sheriff and his protective league um the stated goal was like this is what their goal was to exclude any union members which is super illegal and also like why um but how that was defined was left up to the guard and then here you go with what else they did quote anyone seeking to enter bisbee was stopped outside the city limits brought before the court which then decided whether he could remain in bisbee be allowed to leave in air quotes voluntarily or go to jail passports were issued by the douglas chamber of commerce and mines and those who came into the warren district had to have them in order to remain unmolested hundreds of men were hauled before this court by the sheriff and his deputies and voluntary was like forced to sign away your house with a gun to your head like they're like oh you're here um and we're gonna decide if you can stay here or leave voluntarily we're gonna say voluntarily and stan here with his rifle is going to follow you as you grab some things from your house and sign the deed over to us okay great thanks
1: yeah that sounds that sounds voluntary to me Mm -hmm.
0: that's how all contracts are signed and there's nothing wrong with that yeah totally Yeah, absolutely. Um, the sheriff actually disregarded the governor, so a tiny, tiny crumb of kudos to the government of Arizona who sent a letter and was like, Hey, these are citizens, like let them see their lawyer, let them go to their house. Um, instead they put the lawyer on a train and booted him out of town. A commission from the Arizona Department of Labor came to check it out and they were not allowed into the town.
1: Is did they just lose their fucking mind like (laughs) they kidnap a bunch of people and then they're like fuck you no one can come in
0: yeah they're like go die in a desert it's now martial law basically yeah um and so the strike initially happened in july and these guys are in charge until november It's not really clear to me why they decided to stop being dicks other than, I guess, maybe they just got bored and moved on. Um, I will read a line, quote, The employers had their way. None of the Arizona mining caps established a union. A case, like a legal case, did make it all the way to the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court, in just a super chill move, ruled that the federal government did not actually have the right to control things like legal entrance and enforcing of laws because those powers have been granted to the state. Um, so it's actually like kind of an interesting thing that I kind of get from a legal standpoint, but it's also kind of like the Supreme Court being a bitch and being like, whoops, we're, our hands are tied. Ho, ho. Uh, yeah, no joke. <laughs> and so what did the state do? Arizona did nothing. They never brought any charges. They never heard a case. They never did anything. Um, There were some private suits. So like not criminal. So in in criminal cases, the state has to bring the charge. There were some civil suits suing for like lost wages, but they were all settled. Um, Each married man who was deported, each married man with a child who was deported was awarded $1,250 Married men received $1,000 each, and single men received $500 in their settlement. Um, The sheriff, uh, who is a real dickhole, testified about his role, quote, I have no statute that I had in mind. Perhaps everything that I did wasn't legal. It became a question of, are you American or are you not? He told the Attorney General, I would repeat the operation any time I find my own people endangered by a mob composed of 80% aliens and enemies of my government. Cool. Yeah. And I'd like to like, there was definitely some xenophobia going on. And also Go ahead. I
1: was gonna say, it sounds so familiar. Like, there's a (laughs) group like, in recent history that has said something so close to that.
0: It's yeah it's it's so weird though right i also love how people are like like the miners are like hey um could we like not die and someone just immediately like goes all the way to like 100 and they're like why do you hate america and its government and i'm like (laughs) what Uh, no (laughs) These,
1: these two things are very different conversations
0: Right? It's not even an American... It's not the government they were even picketing. It was a company. Anyway, so this is, quote, from Philip Taft. And it's another little twist in, like, this horror that I think is worth highlighting. He says, quote, The deportation in Bisbee, uh, ellipses, I'm cutting some bit out, uh, was not the product of spontaneous anger generated by violence and disorder on the part of the strikers or pickets. It was carried out as a result of a well-organized program by the Citizens Protective League, made up of privates under the command of captains and majors, uh, end quote, with others deputized by Sheriff Wheeler. So he has a really strong point. There are, like, minutes from this meeting among business owners where they meet to discuss how they're going to do this deportation. So they're not just like, hey, what if this gets violence? They're just like, hey, let's just throw these guys out of town and see if they starve to death. <laughs> um. Now, I said there's no court cases, there's no real outrage, but this isn't to say there were other results. Um, although this is carried out by private companies acting very illegally, um, later efforts would see very similar tactics that would be, and I'm quoting from Wikipedia here, uh, legalized, quote, deportation from the United States or wait, whoops, sorry. I'm not quoting. I'm about to quote from Wikipedia. Uh, but so later efforts would be legalized. Uh, and here's a nice little list from Wikipedia: um, the deportation of supposed foreign anarchists during the Red Scare of 1920, 1919, 1920. Um, there were mass deportations of up to two million Mexicans and Mexican American workers. Um, and Wikipedia points out the latter were citizens of the United States between 1929 and 1936 during the Great Depression. The relocation and internment of 120,000 Japanese national and Japanese Americans to camps during World War II, causing them extensive losses of jobs and property. And the 1954 removal by the Immigration and Naturalization Service of approximately a million na- Mexican nationals living in the U.S. without the legal right to do so. Many Mexican workers had been recruited during the war years, but in the post-war period, the U.S. did not want them competing with American workers. In what is known as Operation Wetback, several hundred U.S. citizens were also deported by mistake because of lack of due process, end quote.
1: Cool. <laughs> yeah. This is all just really cool.
0: Yep. Um. Only one of those, by the way, I actually learned about in school, which was the Japanese internment but we we the US not like you and I Jennifer and Emily um did this all the time for dissenters and um that is the Bisbee deportation
1: in summary don't move to Arizona
0: <laughs> no I will say uh, Fred Watson had some great little quotes that didn't really fit in anywhere. So I'm going to just throw them out at you because this whole the whole article was like an oral history where he's like talking about this. So here's quote. I think most people were sorry for Harry Wheeler. He was just a dumb sheriff. Ever see a sheriff with any brains? He was just some little puppet. (laughs) (laughs) He uses the word who's go at a point, which is pretty great. Um, and then this is also the ending of their article and it's delightful he says quote you know what gunmen are the riffraff of the world and they were ruling the roost my wife can tell you she's reluctant she thinks it will get her notoriety and she's for peace at any price you can't get her to talk about it she says Fritz she calls me Fritz that's 60 years ago why don't you forget it and I say I'll forget it when I die I'll forget it when I die (laughs) (laughs) He a character. <laughs> 80, yeah, I really wish that they were like, click here to listen to Fred's story uh, as it was told to us, but alas, no. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Fred. You're the true American hero. Um, so yeah, that is super weird. I wish I could tell you that the dollop did an episode on this because this feels exactly like something they would do, uh, but they did not, according to my cursory Google search. So... um. I tried my best to do them proud.
1: It was very good.
0: Thank you. Gareth, I once had a dream <laughs> that we were kissing. If you ever listen to this, it was nice. <laughs> the end. I hope you heard that.
1: <laughs> is I, what is that? Is it
0: you clicking your fingers?
1: I was snapping. Yeah. Mm. You know, because like... in the Like 80s a poetry... And 90s, yeah, they always thought, like, open mic, you snap your fingers.
0: It always, like, the finger snapping and the open micing always reminds me of this scene. Have you ever seen the movie? It's this 90s movie, So I Married an Axe Murderer. Uh,
1: Yes, duh. It's
0: so good. It's Mike Myers playing, like, a thousand different characters, and he's so funny. But he has this part at the very beginning where he's, like, a beat poet. He's doing this song where, or this poet... Poet? Poem? What word am I looking for? He's doing this poem poem where he's like, woman (laughs) woman Yes (laughs) You took my hair and my cat (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny, but I think about that anytime someone's like, oh, poetry poetry reading and like the finger snaps. Woman I have
1: been to zero poetry readings where people snap (sighs) Hmm
0: One time I went to a birthday party that, it was in college, in undergrad. I feel like just the phrase, it was in college, forgives a lot. Actually, now that I think about it, Clint was there. And this girl, (laughs) it was themed, I want to say it was themed like beat poets or 1950s. I don't really remember what the theme was. But I just know like basically everybody came dressed as like a beat poet in like a black turtleneck and a beret kind of situation. (laughs) And at one point everyone had had some drinks and we were in the living room and there was like a copy of Twilight and people were just like opening to random pages and trying to read it like it was a beat poem, which was really fun and amusing. Uh, And there were definitely snaps there, but that's the only thing that comes to mind for me.
1: Remember when we stumbled upon the pun festival?
0: Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, man. Stupid COVID. Ruining things like that.
1: If if none of you have ever attended and find yourself in the vicinity of Austin when they're doing a pun festival, you should definitely go because it's pretty spectacular.
0: <laughs> yeah. One day we'll pun again. One day. One day. Bend but into- it's not today. Nope. Just keep your masks on. I actually yelled at someone in the gym today. Because they
1: didn't have their mask on?
0: Yeah. Or was- because
1: they told a really bad pun.
0: <laughs> I was like, how dare you? No. It was, <laughs> it was like the apartment gym and there were people with masks on and then there was like this guy who didn't have one and I like left in a huff and as I was leaving I yelled at him, you should wear a mask. I don't even know if he heard me but I felt pretty good about it. <laughs> Oh, man, this episode is Clint's worst nightmare.
1: (laughs) Well, you heard it here, folks. Don't go to the gym without a mask, or you'll get yelled at by Emily.
0: That's right. And uh, we love
1: you, Clint. I'm going to do you a favor, Clint. On that note. (laughs) Goodbye forever. (laughs) Goodbye forever.
0: All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever. Blue. Orange?
1: Green. <laughs> Red. Oh, that's it. That's all the colors I know.
0: <laughs> Welcome. This has been Colors with Emily and Jen. See you next week where we say the names of more colors. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it feels like a an episode of uh, interdimensional cable from Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was thinking it sounds like a like in a sitcom where they would have a dumb character who's like, I want to have a podcast where we talk about colors and people would be like, you can't see those things. <laughs> <laughs> well oh, maybe
1: man. maybe we can um start our nineties sitcom.
0: Yeah. I uh it's I like the idea of like a nineties sitcom with weird little like uh Rick and Morty or uh like twilight zone elements that are never fully explained it's just like friends except sometimes the plot is totally the same and sometimes it's like Ross has entered the sixth dimension
1: or somebody finds a tentacle monster inside their refrigerator and they're mm-hmm. like eh we'll come back later
0: Or, like, it's not part of the plot, but, like, suddenly in the background, it's just all, like, a torture dungeon or something, and they all act totally (laughs) normal.
1: Alright, I'm game. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, it'd be, like, a sitcom version of Welcome to Night Vale.
1: I see that. I can see that. Hey. Well, on that note...
0: (laughs) This this is is all things terror. (laughs) Not Welcome to Night Vale. (laughs) Oh, my God. Can you imagine... We'd be rolling in the dough and gay men with beautiful hair.
1: this is true,
0: but instead, it's just two ladies. I'm Emily,
1: I'm Jennifer, and I'm also very disappointed,
0: yeah, neither of us have great hair. We try, but it's nothing like Carlos
1: we um I mean I guess that's that's what fame and money get you great hair. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but for us, we just have this weekly podcast where we bring you terrifying true tales from science, history, and across the known universe.
1: And not, this time, not from your dog's but
0: No, although from my dog's chin, I sent you a picture. I recently pulled off an engorged tick, which was absolutely terrifying. disgusting. <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> revolting. It made me... Wish that I was a corpse instead of just a sack of meat that's alive and impenetrable by these terrible bugs. Oh, it was so gross. Like, first of all, ticks are not very big. Like, they're often described as the size of a head of a pin. That's pretty small. But what they don't tell you is that when they've bit down and sucked your blood, which is what the- happened to my poor dog underneath his chin, their butt gets like. Four times that big, and it's squishy and kind of like white green. And so then you have to like get it with like tweezers, but and you can't. You don't want to squeeze the butt. You don't <laughs> squeeze the butt and you pull, but like I thought you just pull and the bug would be like, whoops. That's not what happened. It did not slide yeah. out easy. It, uh, I took like. God bless my boyfriend, James. He was, like, feeding Felix treats to get him still the whole time. Uh, But it took, like, several times of me, like, getting a good grip and, like, pulling. Like, if you think of a scab and you try to pick it and it's, like, really still attached to you, it's like that, but even more. Like, I was pulling his whole skin out and the bug was like, nah, I'm not moving. So... did get it all out i got all the legs out i took him to the vet and the vet's like yeah i mean this looks fine but i was just like vet techs doctors vets who do this on the reg do not get paid enough this was disgusting (laughs) this was like a level of life it was like the first time i learned that most women poop when they're giving birth i was so horrified so horrified and disgusted that i felt like i left my body i had like an out of body experience it was so gross that's what pulling the tick off of my dog was like
1: i mean that's fair and your description is spot on um i feel like i'm showing a lot of my roots uh <laughs> recently but um because i did spend so much of my time like being in the woods and being a You know, creature child. Um, I did you know I'm surprised I don't have Lyme's disease, but like I did get bit by ticks a lot and all the time, like all the time had to do like the tick check in my hair every time I would come inside for the day. And one time I man, I had a big one and it was so painful. It felt like a bruise, like a Uh... really, really tender bruise on my head. And, um, of course, like, my dad was trying to get it out, and it, man, it was a fight, and he was, like, pulling and yanking, and it wasn't coming out, so he took a lighter to it. Now, just keep in mind, this is a lighter. This is on
0: your head!
1: That's on my <laughs> head. And he's trying to, you know, motivate the tick to not be in my head anymore by burning it. Oh um, my god. Didn't really work, but did, you know, dig a little, get, dig get a little singed hair, And then when he did finally get it out, one, it was extremely painful. Two, it didn't feel better when it came out. And three, it had like a chunk of my head in its mouth. What an asshole bug. (laughs) And uh, today, even like if I shave my head, which, you know, I do sometimes, there's a scar on my head. And that is where that tick had made its home. So... That tick, while it's definitely dead and has been dead for a long time, is forever preserved in memory.
0: Its (laughs) impact lives on in the world. (laughs) Oh, what an asshole tick. I, I was kind of an indoor cat, and I remember being maybe like seven or eight, and my parents were talking about ticks, and they were like, yeah, if you see any little black bugs crawling on you you know let us know and make sure cuz ticks can like burrow into your skin and i was like excuse me what now and they're like yeah they'll like bite <laughs> and i was like deeply deeply upset and like so from then on i was super paranoid about bugs i remember asking my dad and my parents of like where in the world do ticks not live and they were like oh maybe outside of the us and i had this like thing I don't I wish I could remember the name of it but it was like a subscription and like every month or every week or something they would send you like you know this is like the internet basically doesn't exist and they would send you like pre like these glossy like printouts with holes in them and each printout it was like a folder and it had an animal and it would tell you like facts and it had a map of where it lived and like all this stuff And then you would like put it in your three ring binder and you'd have this three ring binder like full of animals when I had because I was a dork. But I distinctly remember being like, I think I have the tick, the tick file. And I went and (laughs) each animal had like the globe, like the whole world on a map. And then it would be colored in where the ticks were. And I was like, wherever ticks don't live is where I'm going to live. And I'm going to like figure out what job I have to get so I can live. Like this was at like nine and they are everywhere except Antarctica. And I just felt so betrayed. I was like, I will never be rid of this menace. I was so mad, but yeah, no, my dad grew up on a farm and he was a big, just like, yeah, whatever you get chicks. And he was like, burn them out or put Vaseline cause they would suffocate mm-hmm. and crawl out and my mom was like that doesn't work and he's like well when the children get a tick i'll show you and she was just like the children are not just getting ticks like you cannot give our (laughs) children ticks to prove this point
1: i just i love how your dad is just like it's a fact of life
0: they're gonna get ticks they're children (laughs) they're basically animals So I've, I've pulled like, I've knocked like live ones off and I've been like petting Felix and like pulled a live one off his fur and like, ah, oh, what the fuck? But I've never, I've never encountered a burrowed one before.
1: Well, well you know, I'm not going to say that like you should do it for life experience or anything, but you know.
0: <laughs> I do feel like I've, I've. I've transcended some sort of threshold. Like, I can never go back to the innocence that I had before this encounter.
1: I mean, remember, like, when you used to get lice all the time? Because you're around other kids that had lice, and it was just, like, a <sighs> lice cycle?
0: I've never had lice. I think... Oh
1: my god, really?
0: <laughs> yeah, I I wonder if lice... Can I, I grew up in a desert, and... A small town. I mean, I'm yeah, kind of wondering okay. if lice don't do well in dry climates because I've never. Oh God, like, I have
1: to know this.
0: I know it might be, I, but I also like. I might just be making that up, but yeah, no, I've never had lice.
1: I'm. I'm definitely doing my old school web searching. Can you, got... you get
0: <laughs> lice in a desert? Lice
1: in the desert.
0: Well, take your time, because I can guarantee you that, given the length of this anecdote, uh, Clint will definitely put it at the end of the episode now. <laughs>
1: uh, so where's the desert sun? The oh, desert God, I'm not... sun? It's like a pediatrics. All right, where are you from? Uh, come on. Blah, blah, blah. Why can't I find... What area code is four eight zero? Alright, what's this? Uh, oh, Arizona. Alright, well, Desert Sun Pe- Pediatrics has, like, a whole thing about avoiding head lice.
0: What? Really? hmm Okay, I just found something from Lice Clinics of America that said, the researchers found that lice can't survive in arid desert climates.
1: One hundred. Okay, this is Tucson.com. 100% of Arizona's lice are super lice
0: ew what does that mean
1: i don't i'm not clicking that super lice this is this is no longer all things terror this is all things emily and jennifer read the internet out loud and just act very upset about whatever they're reading (laughs) no Okay. Oh my Uh, God!
0: Listen, if you want. I gotta walk away from this. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Lice is its own episode. I just found like three more horrifying things about (laughs) lice. Oh my
1: God. Uh... All right. Well, that's it. We've done our job. Uh, (laughs) This has been episode (laughs) eleven.
0: Basically, you guys just got a peek into us brainstorming the bullshit that we come at you with every week. oh my god that well that's gonna haunt me (laughs) you're welcome i hope you sleep well tonight (laughs) and now now we'll uh we'll give clint that nice clean edit that he likes